Once again, it's my pleasure to welcome to the studio consultant physician for rheumatology, Dr. John van der Kallen. In past programs, we've spoken about arthritis in general and a condition called ankylosis spondylitis, but today we're concentrating on rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. van der Kallen, welcome and thanks for coming in again. Hi, Iris. Can you tell me to start off with, what exactly is rheumatoid arthritis and how does it differ from osteoarthritis? Uh, rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory condition, um, whereas osteoarthritis is traditionally thought of more as a wear and tear um, arthritis. So by an inflammatory condition, I mean one that causes lots of inflammation and swelling in the joints, um, and this gives subsequent uh, disability and problems. Is it a chronic condition? It is a chronic condition, yep. Um, there's a small majority of people who have one episode and it settles down and that's the end. Mm-hmm. But um, the majority, it's a, it's a condition that's it's their lifelong after, after they've been diagnosed. Is it a condition that we're born with or is it something that, that happens? That's a good question and an interesting one. <laughs> and uh, certainly lots of people are debating this issue uh, around the world. Um, there certainly is a genetic predisposition to rheumatoid arthritis, um, but just having that genetic predisposition doesn't mean that you will get it. So there are certainly environmental um, insults or stresses that, that um, affect your body, and if you're genetically programmed or susceptible, then you can develop rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. Mm. Does it affect both men and women equally? No, it's uh, more common in women. It, the ratio is about three to one, uh, but certainly mm. lots of men are affected as well, mm. and it's about one percent of the population in total. So, so there's a lot of people with it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So does it affect more joints, some more than others? Um, yes, ninety um, percent of the time it will affect uh, your knuckles and uh, the next row of joints in your fingers, but not the row of joints right at the tip of your fingers near your nails. That, funnily enough, is, is quite spare. It doesn't get it. Mm. Whereas in osteoarthritis, you see that those joints frequently mm. affected. Um, similarly, it affects elbows and shoulders and feet. So across the toes, across mm. the sort of where people would traditionally think of as a hallux valgus, uh, mm. that, that joint and that row of joints, also about 90% of the time is affected. What about knees and ankles? Yep, also common, you know, mm. 60%, 70% of the time. Um, neck, uh, often mm. affected, and often people find they've got a lot of stiffness in the neck, and if they've got uh, joint symptoms elsewhere, then that can be, uh, that can all fit together. Mm. So it, it, it doesn't sort of just happen um, in a particular series of joints. It can go all over the body? It can affect pretty much all the joints, mm. yeah. But um, to be certain of the diagnosis, you usually want to see inflammation in the hands, the wrists, or those knuckle joints. Mm. Mm. And that's where and it that's, usually starts? Yeah, the majority of people will be affected yeah. there. Mm. And does it go to both sides of the body or just just affect one? No, it tends to be symmetrical. Mm. And in fact, in the diagnostic criteria for the uh, disease, uh, symmetry is one of the, the features. So mm. again, that goes against things like osteoarthritis where it can affect one knee or one ankle or you know, a couple of small joints in mm. one hand. Mm. And and with that, you sometimes get if someone's using their hand continually, it will set it off for osteo. With osteo, yes, mm. that's right. Yeah, so mm. if you're doing a lot, then it tends to make it uh, mm. more sore. But rheumatoid just 
just happens. Yes, it can just happen. That's right. What does it look like to the untrained eye, apart from the swelling on the knuckles? Okay. I mean, if you see somebody out with, and usually their fingers become um, out of alignment with the swelling, is that a typical way of, of seeing it? You, well, usually when people start getting the alignment problems in fingers, and you've probably seen people like that around, mm. um, that usually comes about after you've had the inflammatory process going on for a, a reasonable period of time, mm. usually years. You know, So in the very early stages, you don't get those changes because they only come about from the joint damage uh, that oh, you okay. develop from the disease, yeah. you see. So in the early stages, uh, it can be tricky to, to really notice, and particularly if it's a younger person, there's often, um, often the swelling is difficult to detect. Um, but what they'll really notice and what other people might notice is that people can't make a fist, and particularly first thing in the morning, you know. So later in the day, you can get your fingers in the palm yeah. of your hand, but for these people, sometimes they they really can't grab a cup, for instance, or mm. brush their hair, you know, because they just haven't got that flexion in the hands and fingers. Do they lose the, the sense of feeling in the fingertips as a result? Not generally, um, but sometimes if you've got a lot of inflammation in the wrist, it can give you a carpal tunnel syndrome, mm. and that will give you sensory changes. Yeah. And the affected joints, do they feel hot to touch? Mm. Yep, yeah. and the skin can often feel very warm. Um, the veins over the back of the hand are quite dilated, mm. you know. Yeah. If you see, and, and you do see someone who will sit there and, and rub their hands when they're, when they're talking, mm. is this often a, a, a form of relief for the, for the pain? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, some people get gloves and things which really hug the joints very nicely mm. and they get a lot of relief from that. Yeah. Do the symptoms ever go away, sort of for a time, and then have a flare-up and come back? It can present in many different ways, you know. Um, with the aggressive sort of forms of rheumatoid arthritis, it can come on in a real bang and mm. just doesn't go away until they get some treatment, you know. Mm. There are other forms that can start gradually, and, and sometimes uh, patients have had an episode three years ago and they and it went on for a month or so and then settled down and and no one's ever thought more of it mm. and fair enough too you know but um then it comes back or it slowly creeps in over a period of a few months and and often people get used to it for a little while but then suddenly they sort of wake up one day and go hang on you know this is not right why can't i hold my cup of tea yeah. you know well, I guess that's uh, the most important time of the day is when you sort of get out of bed and the first thing you want to do is have a cuppa. Mm, and yeah, if you're not going to yeah. pick it up, you're in stride. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. So you really notice that. Yeah. Apart from the pain, does the patient feel unwell? If it's uh, uh, an aggressive sort of form, it, they can feel quite lethargic, um, exhausted, um, and if that goes on for a period of time, mm. then people can often feel quite depressed and low in mood, mm. that sort of thing. So yeah. it will often trigger off a, a general malaise? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you notice it in the joints, and it's thought of as a joint disease, but in fact it's a systemic process. It affects mm. your whole body. Mm. You know? Does it only affect the skeleton and the bones, um, or does it affect things like um, liver and, and heart and all of those things? Yeah, it can affect all organs, really. Mm. Um, the common ones are more lungs, um, heart, mm. um, and rarely things like uh, kidneys and nerves and liver. Mm. But, uh, but certainly rheumatoid arthritis patients are more predisposed to ischemic heart disease. Mm. 
mm-hmm. for instance, and um, it can be thought of as a risk factor for uh, you know heart attacks uh, mm. on its own. All right. Mm. Is it any way related to gout? Only in the inflammatory sort of process, in that with that swelling and pain, it can seem very yeah. much the same. But gout affects one joint traditionally, and the process, the underlying pathology is very different. So rheumatoid arthritis is your own immune system, and for some reason, we don't know why, mm. it's overactive, and it starts attacking the joints and causing all this inflammation. Um, but with gout, it's a crystal, and the crystal mm. irritates the joint. You know, it's those urate crystals, mm. and um, that what is what irritates the joint. And if you can get rid of the urate, then uh, you're unlikely to get more gout, you know. You're listening to Wellbeing, and I'm talking today to Dr. John van der Kallen. Doctor, if a person is having trouble with joint pain, how long should it be tolerated before they do something about it? Well, by definition, um, you need to have the symptoms for six weeks um, before you would uh, be definite about a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. So certainly a few weeks um, would be wanted uh, before you entertain the idea. So, for instance, you can have other causes of a symmetrical inflammatory arthritis that will just go away and won't need other treatment, mm. you know, things like, uh, well, generally speaking, Ross River virus or Barmer Forest virus mm. infections. Uh, they tend to be a short-lived inflammatory arthritis that uh, settles down. If they've had that, are they more inclined to to go towards rheumatoid arthritis later? No, no. no they're, no. they're totally separate. That's right. Mm. What's the first symptoms a GP would look for? I think that morning stiffness is a big one. That's mm. important. Um, swelling, but again, in younger people, it can be difficult. Um, you know, in... Uh, you know, it can affect all age groups, you know. So sometimes if it was a child, it would just be they weren't willing to walk or they weren't willing to do any sport, that sort of thing, mm. you know. And until someone really looked carefully at a particular joint, they wouldn't notice anything. So it can affect littlies as well yeah. as the... And we, I guess we tend to think of it being um, the more, to put it politely, the more mature adult. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's yeah. right. But in fact, the, the age group where it's most likely to start or has the highest... Uh, incidence of onset is in the, the 40 to 50 year olds mm. Mm. but kids can get it as well I mean, yeah can, that's right we don't kids. call it rheumatoid technically at that mm. age but it's a similar process mm. yeah. and is it easy to diagnose i mean once you've seen that they've got stiffness in in the hands and what have you is once you start looking for the cause is it easy to follow up and, and track it down when it's clear it's easy (laughs) but there is this gray kind of area you know and certainly some people do have osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis but the treatments are quite separate Mm. Um, so in those circumstances it can be difficult to differentiate so if they went to the gp he would organize for them to have x-rays and scans and things yes sometimes often yeah so the best ones are really x-rays of, uh, of your hands and feet. Um, mm. And there are specific changes that you can develop. And if you had those changes, well, the diagnosis is clear. Mm. The majority of people would probably have a blood test, I would think. And there's some antibodies that we can check in the blood, which, again, give you clues to the diagnosis. That it's not a 100% mm. yes or no answer. But um, if you put them all together... Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. So mm. it's your symptoms, what you see in the joints and what the, the tests show and to put all that together and then you can come up with the diagnosis. 
Is there damage to the bone itself as well as swelling at the joints? Eventually, with the swelling, you get damage to the underlying bone and mm. to the underlying joint. Yep. And when you get that damage, that's when people start getting the deviation of the fingers and oh, around okay. the wrists and that yeah. sort of business. Mm. And is that a gradual thing? I mean, it's over a series of years or does mm. it ha- can it happen fairly quickly? In the, the aggressive forms, it can happen very quickly, yeah, in mm. months, i.e. months. But uh, otherwise, it's, it's years. Mm. Yeah. The patient has been to the general practitioner. They've had x-rays and blood tests. Is the next step to see someone like yourself, a specialist? The majority of people will, mm. yes. Um, I think uh, there are new treatments available for rheumatoid, so mm. um, they should, patients should definitely be seen by a specialist at least on one occasion just to mm. see if they mm. need that sort of uh, treatment. Um, some of these things can't be prescribed by general practitioners, so they have to see a specialist. Oh, okay. Mm. So the, uh, they can't even sort of get it through a special permission from the government, which an authorisation? Well, these things do need authorisation, yeah. but they need to come from a rheumatologist, from a essentially. Mm. Yeah. Are there any other investigations that you would do or you would expect a GP to have done before they get to you? Uh, no, it's it's often very much a clinical kind of diagnosis. So, you know, based on mm. the patient's symptoms and, and their signs. Um, and then you can taper the investigations uh, if uh, other things uh, are possibilities. Would the patient be likely to have problems with sleeping and eating? Yes, yes. Often if they've got a lot of inflammation going on, they feel uh, off their food. They can feel quite um, nauseated. Um, Often they'll lose a fair bit of weight, you know, again, because it's a systemic type process. Um, Sleep is often disturbed because of the pain, you know, and, uh, yep, and that will make uh, things uh, be difficult for them to get a good night's sleep. Mm. Absolutely. And mm. I guess it becomes a vicious circle then. If they're sore, they don't sleep. If they don't sleep, they don't feel like eating and, and mm. back you go. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Is it affected by weather? If there's a change in the weather, does that sometimes make them feel worse? Yeah, it does make people feel worse, yeah. But mm. it doesn't cause it. Mm. And um, uh, and it, and it's not the uh, underlying uh, you know cause of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. Mm. Do we know why weather affects people with arthritis, any sort of arthritis? (laughs) A lot of people looked into that as well, sorry. Um, But, yeah, they've not been able to show particular humidity Mm. levels uh, um, uh, are the cause. uh, Or a cold snap doesn't make any difference. Well, they can't measure that in a study, you know, and certainly (laughs) people know when the storm's coming and all that sort of business. So I don't know. There's too many people say that they feel something different to say that it's not real, <laughs> you know. So uh, we can't sort of blame it on the weather conditions if we... can't blame if rheumatoid <laughs> on the weather, no, so I'm afraid not. <laughs> You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols and I'm talking to Dr John van der Callen about rheumatoid arthritis. Dr van der Callen, let's move on to treatments. What would be your first line of treatment? Well, there's two um, uh, different aspects to treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, The first is uh, symptomatic relief, and the second is um, medications to control the disease. So um, the second part is the most important in a sense because 
by switching off the whole process, you can decrease the joint damage and subsequently the disability that people get down Mm. the track. And it's really been over the last sort of 15 years that we've really had effective medications to do this. Um, And we're now finding um, that the complications of the disease are minimising. And there's a list of these medications and, uh, you know, it's a bit of an undertaking for people who, you know, often are previously well and Mm. often young and uh, and you tell them that they need to have medications for years and, uh, you know, that's a hard thing to uh, understand and and to to, uh, do. Um, But certainly those that do that do have better outcomes than than those that just treat the symptoms. Um, So for symptom control, there's lots of different things, and that's where anti-inflammatories and paracetamol and even panadine forward Mm. if the pain's bad enough, uh, uh, things like heat packs and physio and uh, Mm. those aspects uh, come come into it. And I guess with all of those things, there's often a trial and error as to what the patient can actually tolerate. Yeah, so with those medications that are designed to switch off the inflammatory process, um, you know, they have potential side effects. And I say Mm. potential Mm. because, um, you know, not everybody gets them by any means. Mm. And and I think, you know, we know what they are so we can watch out for them uh, when Mm. we start people on these Mm. particular things. And sure, you know, they they are strong medications, so um, they will potentially have side effects like nausea or skin Mm. rashes and things. Mm. And and I guess if they occur, then you sort of try another one until you yeah, get the one that's that, right. Yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah. And they usually need blood test monitoring and things as well to make sure your blood count's okay and your liver function's okay. Mm. Mm. Would a, a patient go for physiotherapy? Yep. Um, so at Royal Newcastle here, we have a rheumatology ward and uh, they get seen by physiotherapists and occupational therapists. Um, and the physio is really very important. Mm-hmm. Um, the inflammatory process affects the joints, but uh, it's important that the muscles around the joints are working well as well and maintaining their strength. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a study done over in Holland where they had people doing light low-impact exercises, and they found that after, I think it was two years, that those who were doing the exercises had less joint damage and less joint pain uh, than those who did nothing. Mm. Mm. So, in fact, I think it's a very important part of it. I've heard that rest is often recommended if, you know, get off your feet, your your legs are aching, (laughs) this sort of thing. Mm. Is it better to to stop and, and put your feet up, or is it better to keep trying to keep moving? Well, when you've got a lot of inflammation, then rest is important. Mm. Okay, so that's when there's a lot of stiffness, a lot of swelling, heat over the joints. Yeah, mm. and just being sensible about not doing too much can help settle the joints down. And in the past, before we had a lot of different medications that we could use, there were solariums. You know, where people would lie mm. and they they would just wait till their joints settled down. And they weren't allowed to even go to the toilet, for instance. You know, mm. they had to really just lie still. Mm. And that would work, but it would, you know, take two weeks or so for that yeah. to happen. Um, so rest is important, but it's this balance. It's a balance between not doing too much and not doing anything, anything at all. At all. Mm. Mm. Are they likely to make the symptoms worse if they try to work through it, in inverted commas? Which is something I've heard people say, especially the elderly, oh, look, you'll be right, lover, you just get up and keep going. Mm. Are they likely to do more damage that way? Well, in rheumatoid arthritis, um, they're not really going to do more damage. It's the 
it's going to feel more sore and it's going to mm. be harder on them. You know, it's going to make them more mm. tired and, and more distressed from their joints. But it's really that inflammatory process that's damaging the that's joints. The yeah. Mm. I mean, you hear that a lot with people who have osteoarthritis and to some mm. extent you do have to work through your symptoms a little bit, you know. Um, because again, you, if you're using the muscles well and you're mobilizing, then generally people have less pain and less mm. disability. You mentioned about sending patients to an occupational therapist. Is this to teach them to use gadgets that will make life easier? Yeah, well, they do quite a few different things. Um, certainly for someone who has a, a recent diagnosis, they don't have much joint damage, so they shouldn't need anything like special pens or cutlery, mm. etc. Um, if you'd had it for a long time and you had joint uh, damage and um, disability in your hands, then you do need a lot of these different uh, aids mm. and devices and things, uh, and th- you know they help with all sorts of things, from you know cutlery to holding cups to doing up buttons. You mm. know, very clever mm. little uh, bits and pieces. But the ATs are also very important because they do some splint splinting. And I said before that a lot of the inflammation is in the the knuckles and the wrists. Mm. Well, the splints that they make can often rest those joints and allow them to settle down as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you said about doing up buttons. You know, I guess that for those of us who don't have rheumatoid arthritis, mm. we don't think about the little things. Mm. I mean, we I guess trouble with doors and taps and cups and things. Mm. But I guess buttons and and tying shoelaces and all those sorts of oh, things yeah. must be a problem. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And even doing your hair or reaching down, you know, mm. to do up your shoes, yeah. you know. And they have, you know, shoe horns, but they've got, you know, they're extra long ones so that you don't... You know, <laughs> so you like, don't actually have to bend and, yeah, and do those things. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. all those uh, um, things are important. Are there any self-help organisations that, for people who do have um, rheumatoid arthritis, where they can sort of go and compare notes or or get some hints off off each other are they common around the country um well arthritis australia has an excellent website um and they have lots of information um uh, there's the arthritis foundation um, as well which again mm. these are web-based i suppose mm. but uh, uh they also have uh, numbers that you can ring um to get uh, help and information mm. In Newcastle, we're lucky because we've got the rheumatology unit and they run a course for people with rheumatoid arthritis and mm. there's, uh, you know, 10 or 12 people in a group so they can compare, you know, symptoms yeah. and medications and, you know. And I guess once they make that contact, they they sort of feel they're not isolated, it's not just me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's right because mm. uh, people do feel like that. Mm. If people need to go for physio or to a, an OT... Is that covered by Medicare? I was thinking about for people on a pension. Right. Or who are just not in a health fund. Mm. Um, are they available to everyone? Yep. Um, it's a, it involves a fair bit of paperwork uh, for the general mm. practitioners, but this can only be done actually through the general practitioners. And there's a new item number that the government's uh, incorporated in the last, I think, about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And it entitles you to five visits to... Uh, people like physios and occupational mm. therapists and speech therapy and 
all these groups, you know. Mm. But, you know, I think people have to be aware that it does involve a fair bit of paperwork and uh, sometimes uh, people imagine that it's, uh, you know, click of the fingers. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. So, yeah, no, it's not. But it's a great initiative. So, Mm. um, you know, sometimes people still have to pay, you know, uh, some money, $10 or so, but, Mm. uh, you know, the rest, the $50 is, uh, is covered. So that's good. Mm. And you mentioned about five times. Is that five times a... a I think, I think a, it's five times for a calendar year. For a calendar year. Yes. Yeah. Do most health funds cover um, physio for a longer time than that? I'm not sure what the health funds uh, cover. Yeah. If our listeners would like to know more about rheumatoid arthritis, and you said that there's a website, they just key in Google or Yahoo or whoever and just go... Arthritis Australia? Yep. yep. And that, that'll bring it all up. Yep, they've got a good website. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Dr. Van der Callen, thank you very much for coming in. Is oh, there anything else that, that you feel you'd like to mention while we've got the opportunity? Oh, no, I think we've covered we've those covered uh, issues. Yeah, yeah. I think certainly if, if symptoms are persisting for more than sort of four weeks, uh, then someone should see their local doctor mm-hmm. and then uh, they can uh, decide whether this uh, is truly inflammation in the joints and and then I think people need to be referred on. Mm. Thank you again for coming in. That's okay. It's been great to have you here. My guest has been Dr. John Vanderkallen, consultant physician for rheumatology. And I hope that you've enjoyed today's program. And until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of the team wishing you well.